once we get our focus right and think about why God placed us here, and we realize it's not just for us to enjoy being together, all that's part of it, to grow, that's part of it, but he placed us here so that we could be a lighthouse, so we could be a ship going somewhere and inviting people to come and join us, going out where people do not know the gospel and finding a way to bring them in. We begin then to think about, okay, so how do we do that? What do we need to do in order to be an inviting kind of church so that people will want to give us a second hearing? And so I want us to think today about what does it mean to be an inviting church? Because that word inviting is really taken two ways. It could be a quality, well, they're a very inviting person, or that's an inviting setting. Or it could be an activity, an action that we do. And actually, it's got to be some of both. And so I want us to think about that and think about what it means for us to be inviting. Over the last three months, I've talked to about 50 people, interviewing them for this sermon, based on two particular groups. And then I've done, I don't even know how much reading, about these two particular groups. And they're, they're called the nuns and the duns. So let me explain to you about these two groups real quick, and that way you'll kind of know a background about what's going on. Now, nuns are not those ladies that live down at the convent, okay? That's another kind of nun, okay? The kind of nuns I'm talking about are people who, in a survey of religious activity, they say, what, how do you relate to yourself, or how would you identify yourself religiously? They would say, none. I have no religion. Many of these people are third and sometimes even fourth generation non-church attenders. They have never stepped foot in the door of a church. They never saw their parents step foot in the door of a church. They never saw their grandparents involved in church. And in some cases, even their great-grandparents have never been in church. And so for them, coming to a Bible study at church would be like me being invited to go to a wine tasting down at the winery. I wouldn't even have any idea what I was supposed to do or, what, or if I would even want to go or not. And so for a lot of people, they, they say, I really don't know what you people do when you go to that building down there on Covington Drive. I have no idea what it's all about. And I'm not sure I really want to know. The other group are called the Duns. And it's not supposed to be humorous that they rhyme. At least I don't think it was supposed to be humorous. I don't take it humorously. But the Duns are a totally different kind of people. The Duns are people who passionately love the Lord. They're committed to Christianity. They're committed to serving God's kingdom. But for one reason or another, they are sick and tired of the organized church the way they see it in America today. And so what they have done is they've not walked away from Christ, but they've walked away from the church. Sometimes they've been hurt. Sometimes they have been disappointed. Sometimes just the bureaucracy and the politics and the hypocrisy has just gotten them fed up to here, and they say, you know what? And I hate to tell you this, because I've never heard anybody say this about our church, but I've heard them say about a lot of other churches, say, you know what, I just decided that two hours on Sunday was a waste of my time when I could be out in the neighborhood doing something that actually meant something in the lives of people who don't know Jesus Christ. And these are people, are, these are not people that like are backslidden or anything like that. These are people who love the Lord. They just aren't in love with the church. Now, here's what's so interesting. Even though these two groups are polar opposites, spiritually speaking, it is amazing that they have almost identical answers to the following question. If you were to ever feel the need to look for a church for yourself, either for the first time or to go back, what would that church look like to you? And their answers were almost exactly the same. So in my mind, 
while I don't think we should cater or pander to people, especially who are not Christians, that might would rather us not share the gospel or not talk about sin. That's ne- that never came up in the conversations. Maybe we'll talk about that more in just a few minutes. But I think we need to at least listen to what would be inviting to a lost person, a person who has no church affiliation, and what would be inviting to a person who loves the Lord but just really is fed up with church. So we can find out, okay, are there things that we could do to be more inviting? And I believe the answer is yes. And that's one of the things we're going to be working on this year. And it starts with individuals, you and me, one-on-one. We have to learn what it means to be an inviting individual. And that incorporates several things. Number one, we've got to exude Christian character in our lives in a way that it is noticeable and recognizable in the, in the lives of our friends or in, in, in the minds of our friends. In other words, there's, a, there's an element of, of being sectarian in the sense that we are different from the world enough that people recognize that and say, there's something in them that I don't have. Now, how does that happen? That happens as we deepen our spiritual lives so that as we grow stronger in Christ, then those qualities flow out of our lives to the people that are around us. It just naturally happens. If you are filled with the Spirit of God, then you're going to show the fruit of the Spirit of God in your relationships to other people. And so one of the things we're going to be doing this year is spending a lot of time on soul care. We're going to be talking a lot about how we can deepen our spiritual lives. We just did a workshop a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to begin discussion groups out of a book called The Deeper Life. And we're going to be talking about how we can deepen our spiritual lives by asking eight very important questions. Some of you will be invited to join a Facebook discussion as we're walking this book. Some of you will be coming to a monthly get-together. If you did not go to the workshop, that's fine. The simulcast, the webcast, that's fine. You don't even have to have the book. We're going to be asking eight very important questions, and we're going to talk about how those impact our spiritual lives. We have other things like that. We've got um, monthly emphases. We just heard about February is going to kind of be family month. We've got the dad event. We've got the daddy-daughter dinner. We're going to have a marriage experience in Branson that you'll be invited to go with some of us on as we go down there, talking a lot about family. Each month, we'll talk about a particular area of our spiritual lives. Some of you have gotten a life journal. How many of you have already picked up a copy of your life journal out there on the, pa- on the back? Okay, a couple of you, okay. A few more and those are gone, so maybe you just don't want to admit you took one. But one of the things in the life journal is give you an opportunity every day to do a little journaling about what you're reading from God's Word, what God is saying to you. And we're going to talk about that. This morning it was in Acts chapter 7, and when Stephen said that that Moses that was rejected as a leader, God sent back to be a leader. And it reminded me that sometimes I can't do things, well, no, not sometimes, I can never do anything in my own power. If I try to do my own power, I'm just like Moses was. But if I let God work, then he can do it. So that's what life journals are all about. We're going to have a various, various workshops and conferences and meetings. One of them is for women. And I asked Sharon if she would just say a word about the, uh, the womanhood conference. Grab that one that might get right there and just say a word about the, uh, the upcoming women's conference. Beginning Wednesday night at, well, we gather about 5.15. Flights start about 5.30. We're going to study this book. It's called True Woman, Interior Design. And we're looking at the book of Titus and what Paul was instructing Titus to teach the women in his church how they should be godly women. I've already done one of these books, and they are wonderful. If you're looking for a ladies' Bible study, there are two opportunities 
We're going to have a Wednesday evening group from 5.30 to 6.30. So those of you who have kids in the kids' programs, it's perfect timing for you there. If you're a working mom and that's just not a good time for you, we're also doing a group on Sunday afternoon, and we'll meet the first time on the 14th of February from 4.30 until probably about 5.30. So if you are interested, I'll be right down here right after the service. Please come let me know that you're interested so I can make sure that we order enough books and which session you'd like to do. Thank right. you. Thank you. Another thing we're going to be doing in the evenings during March, April, and May is doing a study of a book called Seeking Him. And again, this is one of those things where I'll be doing kind of a sermon sort of series out of the book. You don't have to buy the book, read the book, fill in the blanks in the book. But, but if you do, it will enhance. And we're talking about what does it mean to seek God in a deeper way in our lives. And then in the fall, uh, dear, dear friends of mine, Wilson and Laura Green are going to be coming in September to do a life renewal conference with us, a Sunday through Wednesday event. And we're looking forward to that September 18 through 21. So, being inviting Christians starts with having this Christian character, but it's not just that. The second thing is we've also got to have authentic relationships. One of the things that we Christians are known for, and it's really sad, but, but often it's true, is that we only make friendships with people that are deep enough for us to invite them to come to church with us. And then they say, well, no, I'm not really interested. Then we kind of leave them by the wayside and go make another friend. That's why they think we're hypocrites sometimes. But instead, what we have to do is we have to learn to make deep, authentic relationships, because as a good friend of mine said to me the other day, relationships are the key to being able to effectively tell another person about what is so important in your life, and that's Jesus Christ. And so we've got to continually be working at making friends with people at work, in the community, uh, at school, that, that you're going to be their friend whether they ever come to church or not. I mean, they're just your friend because you like them. You have similar interests, similar hobbies. And so then as you begin building those relationships with them, they relax, and then you have the opportunity to tell them sometimes, well, hey, I'm a Christian, can I pray for you about that? Or, hey, we talk about this in my church, we'd like to come sometime. Or, hey, we're going to do this project uh, down on, the, on Southside Town to, to work on an old lady's house. You want to come and help us one Saturday? Or we're helping somebody to move or whatever it may be. But we've got to start by building these friendships that are authentic and real in the lives of the people around us. Not only that, we've got to make sure that we are non-judgmental in that process. So often we as Christians, not necessarily us specifically, although we probably are guilty of it too, can, can take this approach like, well, you have all the problems and we have all the answers. I got news for you, I don't have all the answers. Now, I know someone who does, and I go to him with my problems, but for me to stand up and give somebody the impression that, well, I know all the answers to all the problems in your life, well, they know that's not true. And so do I. And so rather than being judgmental and judging other people, we remember that we've all been forgiven. And so we're willing to listen and talk and communicate with people rather than just trying to pass judgment on them. And leading right out of that, we've got to be more committed to conversation than to confrontation. A lot of times what people want is they just want somebody to talk to them. They don't want, it's kind of like, okay, just a little sidebar about families. Some of you young couples, fairly newlyweds still, there's times when a man comes home with a problem, he's looking for a solution. A wife comes home with a problem, and she doesn't necessarily want her husband to figure out how to fix it, just wants him to listen to her. Amen, ladies? Every now and then, you ladies just want to hear, just, just let me tell you, I just want to vent. And that's the way a lot of our friends are. They don't want us to give them seven steps to fix that problem. They just want a conversation. They want to know that they're respected and that, they're willing, that you're willing to listen to them. And then... As important as any of that is we've got to be committed as individuals to spend more time out there than we do in here. I don't mean in this room. I mean in this building on this campus. We have to understand 
that the world is never going to see us when we meet here. They will see us when they see us out there. And so we've got to get actively involved as individuals, and not necessarily something with the church's name on it, just out there actively doing things in the community, working with PTA, working with other organizations, working with WSA or with the Y, or just, just the list go on and on and on and on and on. And that's how we begin to be salt out of the salt shaker, and we bring flavor to the different places that we are. Now, if that's true for us as individuals, what happens when we get together in little small groups? Two or three or four of us like to get together and play dominoes or, or, or go sightseeing or uh, go ride motorcycles or do something like that. Well, that gives us an automatic opportunity to ask our friends who maybe are, have the same hobby to come and go with us. And so they get to watch us as we interact with each other. And as they watch us, they begin to see that we're not singular flukes. Okay, we're not anomalies. We have friends that are just like we are, that we're joyful and we're, we're peaceful and we're happy and we seem to enjoy life and, and, and we, we love being together and we take care of each other and, and we exude the same Christian qualities that they do, that, that we do, that our group does the same thing as we're together and spend time with each other. We have a, a relationship that is authentic and real. And when I meet Daryl's friends and Daryl meets my friends and I become friends with Daryl's friends, they realize, wow, these people really do like us. They don't, they don't look down on us. They don't think that we're not as good as they are. They don't think that we're somehow another flawed well, guess what? We're all flawed. And so we're not going to, 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 to create these artificial relationships with people. We're going to make sure that they're authentic. We've got to see them as real people, not be judgmental of them. Engage them in conversations where we don't appear to always have the answers. We're all working on life together. Anybody got life figured out yet? Anybody out here, you got life figured out? You got every answer? No. But do you know what? Most of your lost friends think that you think that you do. Because we're afraid to show that we're weak and simple because that somehow will, somehow will besmirch the cause of Christ. But you know what? The cause of Christ is best seen in healing healers. We ourselves are wounded, and as we continue to reach out to others. Those groups don't need to always be formal things. It's better when they're not formal. It's better when just some of us get together and love to do something. Sharon and I love going to historic places. I love going to St. Charles, going to Kimswick, going to other kind of places like that. And to invite friends to come along, invite some of you to come along. We're all there together having a great time on a great day. And it's just something that a bunch of people got together. It's not something that our church has planned or organized or sent out a bus or anything like that. It's just something that we just do together with our friends because we love to do it. And we need to make sure that we don't just spend all of our time sitting around each other's living rooms talking. we got to get out there where Life is happening. Getting involved in projects every week, well, definitely every month, in the mayor's little note, and if you live in Waterloo, you get the mayor's letter in with your utility bill. And there's almost always some kind of project going on in town where we need help, where the city needs help, where a group needs help. Where an organization. Right now, we're part of the House of Neighborly Services, and there are a ton of things in H&S that you could be involved in with a couple of your friends. And if you're interested in that, you can talk to me, talk to Jan Dudley, some others, and we'll get you hooked up with what's going on out there with HNS. But the point of it is, is that people are looking and seeing what are you doing that makes a difference in the real world. Because in their mind, this is the fake world. That's the real world out there. Well, then it expands from there. What about when we come into our large community of faith? We come into this group. Well, you're going to guess. I'm going to go pretty much through the exact same list. Someone walks into this place for the very first time. They've gotten to know you. They become friends with some of your friends, and finally one day they say, didn't you say you go to some kind of a Bible study on a Tuesday morning? Yeah, great group of ladies Bible study. I'd love for you to come. Don't you go to something on Wednesday night? Yeah, oh yeah, we have pizza and we have some singing time and a little bit of Bible study stuff. I think I'll come with you. And they show up here on this campus. And the first thing that they'll notice 
or hopefully as we're growing in this way, they'll notice is the fact that we're all godly in the sense of we're pursuing God. Now, we're not there yet. We're not finished. But the Holy Spirit is bringing those fruit of the Spirit. There's love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, best self-joy and self-control in our lives. And they see that in us. They see that when we interact together. We laugh together and we play together and we do things together. And they see this obvious Christian character in us and they go, wow, I have never been around a group of people that enjoyed being together as much as this group of people do, this group of students, this group of adults, this group of ladies, this group of men do. There's also this continuing, caring, encouraging, prayerful relationship. They see how we relate to each other. We don't belittle each other. We don't argue with each other. We don't put each other down. People in this service don't demean the people out there. People out there don't demean the people that are in here. We're all knowing that we're one family and we're in two places and it's not so we can be divided, so that we can multiply. Go back there by my, my office and look at my three plants that are nice and big and strong. My Greg plant that you gave me, Nancy. Got too big for its pot. Got root bound. Stopped growing. So what did I do? I pulled it out of the pot. Got a hatchet to it. Whacked it into three parts. Put it into three pots. Guess what I got now? I got three big plants now. In another couple of years, I'll whack them again. And I'll start giving you Christmas presents of little Greg plants. But you see... People need to come in and see that we are authentic with each other. We pray for each other. We acknowledge that we have problems, that we're struggling, and that we love them just like they are, even if we don't agree with all the decisions they made in their lives. We still love them for who they are. And they see that when they come, and they recognize that in us. We do more listening and less legislating. We have conversations in Sunday school classes and Bible study groups, and yes, maybe even in this room where we listen and let people send text questions back or have a chance to respond or after the service is over to stay for, stay for a talk back time rather than just saying, well, this is what it is and this is what you have to do. So let's talk about your life and how can God's Word speak to your life. We focus on leveling the playing field and how we do church. He said, now what do you mean by that, Pastor? Right, let me just take a minute and tell you what I'm talking about by leveling the playing field. We have a history at times around here, I'm just being honest, where a person has an idea for something that they would like to do as a ministry. And seven committee meetings and two family quarterly meetings later, we still haven't started their ministry. And guess what they did? They say, you know what, just forget it. It's okay. I'm good. I'm fine. And a few months later, we say, well, whatever happened to so-and-so? Oh, well, they're over there doing that ministry they wanted us to help them do, but they decided we weren't going to do it, so they're over there doing it on their own. Now, I don't know if that's ever happened literally to us, but you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes, without us meaning to, we create more barricades than we do pathways. And so we're going we're to begin flattening some of that out. Now understand, the role of the pastors and deacons has always been to set guardrails to protect us theologically and our testimony in the community. But within those guardrails, we're going to find ways to allow people to be more involved in ministry and even if they're not church members yet, of course they can't have leadership positions, but somebody says, hey, I'd just like to come and help set out the, the, the cups for pizza would that be, or for dinner on Wednesday night for the team kids. Would that be okay? Well, of course it's okay. Hey, you know what? I would love to be a part of that car repair ministry. You have to be a member of the church to help fix somebody's car. Well, of course you don't. Come and work with us. As they see us leveling that, and then, as important as anything, they see us as a church spending more energy Here's this reprioritize thing. And more time and more resources on doing things that make a difference out there than on things that just take care of us in here. Now, if you think we're already doing that, wait till you get your budget. 
And you begin to calculate what percent of our budget do we spend on ourselves versus what percent of our budget do we spend to help reach out and do creative things in the community that open a doorway for sharing the gospel. And so we're going to work on reprioritizing and make sure that when we, when our, and really we have a good reputation for this already, I just want us to improve it. Last couple of years we've kind of backed off a little. I want us to re-engage that part of our lives so that the people in the community say, you know what, if you've got a roach-infested house and nobody wants to come help get it taken care of, you call the Baptists. They'll come and do it. You've got a family that's, that's, that's died on the vine and they're having a hard time and they just need somebody to come and give some care to them, you call them. You've got, you got a parent or a grandparent that needs to get to the doctor and now we don't have the Monroe Randolph transit bus anymore, go call the Baptists. They'll take you. They'll do it for you. Because you see, when people see that, then they know that we're authentic. And that's inviting to people. And that's what people want. That's the DNA. When that DNA gets into our hearts and our lives, when those qualities, authentic relationships, undeniable Christian character, non-judgmental listening ears, commitment to conversation rather than declaration, decentralized, non-hierarchical approach, and a heart for ministry that makes a real difference in the community, that's what makes a church inviting to these two groups of people. Because the one thing that I heard, almost without exception, 42 people later, 18 of whom have never accepted Christ, the other 24 of whom are very passionate Christians but are not in a church. They said the two things we'd look for in a church, authentic relationships, a real sense of community, because relationships are the key, and a church that is doing something that makes a difference out in the world. These people said it, and these people said it. And I think it's worth, worth us thinking about. Now, one of the people who models, for me at least, this idea of doing more outside the church than in is the man that's standing with me. You know him as one of our deacons, Dennis Felix. You may not know he also is the regional coordinator for disaster relief for Illinois Baptists. This man spends countless, literally, hours where people are hurting, where trailer parks have been flattened by tornadoes, where floods have ravaged areas. He and teams of people just like you and me go out in Christ's name, where people live, not saying, hey, why don't you go to my church on Sunday? It's like, no, I'm here to be with you and for you. And so I'm glad that he is our deacon today, and I'm going to ask him if he would, before we get into this last section of our message, if he would pray for us. Well, would you join me as he leads us in prayer? Before we continue, I first believe we have to believe how great God is. That's right. How and how wonderful he is that he's so great that he promised us that he would always be with us, and today he is. I can feel his presence. Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church, but Lord, right now we want to thank you for your presence. Lord, that you're such a great God that you reach down to each one of us individually and have touched our hearts. Lord, today I pray if there's one who has not felt that touch that they would not leave here today, but today would be their day of salvation that today they might find a new family, a new being within this church body, that today they would might know that there are friends that love them in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we continue this message today that you be with our pastor as he strives to endow in us the goal to go into our communities, to go into our world that you have given to us personally to touch other lives. Lord, we thank you so much that you did not only save us, but you gave us a task that our lives might be meaningful. As we continue in this message today, we want to do only one thing, and that is lift you up, holy God, and allow us to be your servants and your slaves. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Let me take that one. You just give me a Thanks. You can be seated. Now, every year at State of the Church Sunday, I feel like that I give you this wall of information. It's like this big wall just comes pushing towards you. And I know that you're not going to go home with all of this. There's going to be an outline that if you'd like to get it, you'll be able to send me a note, and I'll be glad to send you a, a Word document that has the outline for everything that we've shared today. But I want to make sure we're on the same page. Number one, I believe the number one thing that God wants us to do as a church is to regain our focus on the lost world. Okay? Now, we need to take care of each other, loving God, loving each other, serving the world. But we need to reprioritize our focus out in a lost world. And then when we begin to do that, someone said to me one day, he said, you know, if you're really going to get excited about inviting somebody to something, it's got to be something, first of all, that you believe in because it, it excites you. And it's got to be something that to that person would appear to be inviting, something that they would want to find out more about, want to know more about. So I want us to shift now in these last few minutes to inviting as a quality to inviting as an activity, something that we have to do. Now remember, both of these groups of people said the thing that they really wanted more than any, if they were going to look for a church, and, and I'm, I've got to make sure you understand, I'm not just talking about the 18 or so people I talked to. I have read data from both secular sociologists and Christians that, that say over and over and over again, the nuns of the world, listen, they know they're not where God would want them. They don't need me to tell them that. You remember a time when you got away from the Lord? And your pastor called and said, hey, can I come by and visit with you? Your greatest fear is he was going to shake a finger and say, you know what you're doing is wrong. And you already know what you're doing is wrong. You don't need him to tell you that. What do you need your pastor to tell you? God loves you. And he'll forgive you. And that's what people who have never had anything to do with church say, look, I, I know what I've done is wrong. I just need to know that when I walk into your church, pastor, that people aren't going to wag their heads at me and shake their fingers at me. They're looking for authentic community, authentic relationships. Remember, relationships is the... Come on, you're better than that. You haven't had lunch yet. Relationship is the, it's the key. That is the key, okay? That's what our Celtic forefathers taught us when they moved into these pagan villages and set up these little communes within inside these villages. And they began living their Christian life. And when the, these, these, these pagan idol worshipers said, what are you doing when you bow your head while you're out in the field? Or what do you do when you bow your head when you're, when you're eating? And they said, well, we're praying to our God. We're talking to our God. And they said, well, can you tell me more about your God? They said, well, just come walk with us for a while. And they would talk to them while they were out in the field or while they were going to market or while they were drawing water. And they built relationships because relationships are the key. And that's what they say. They need, they, they need authentic community and they need to know that we're doing things out in the community that make a difference. Things that are actually touching people's lives so that it makes a difference. Now, with all this DNA in our community DNA, all these qualities in there, all of a sudden, if, you, if, you, if you've ever experienced it, inviting people becomes pretty easy. If you're in love with what's going on at your church, if you're in love with the, thing, the ministry you're involved in, if you're in love with the Bible school, Bible school group that you're in, if you're in love with the project you're doing down at Zano School, holding those big heavy doors so those kindergartners can go through in their backpacks and, 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 and somebody's holding the door for them or, or whatever it is, if you're excited about that, somebody says, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm going to Zano to hold doors. They go, what? You wanna, why don't you come with me? We'll hold doors for 20 minutes. And, we'll, and tell those little boys and girls good morning. You're going to invite people because you're already excited about what's going on. And so then we get into the part about how do we do it? How do we actually invite people? Where do we start? Well, I'm going to tell you my opinion on this. It does not start by inviting them here. That is not the first place where it starts. It starts by inviting them to join us out there first. Okay? 
this is foreign territory to nuns and hated territory, that's a little strong, to the duns. So inviting them here is automatically a recipe for disaster. It starts by inviting them to come and be a part with us out there. And so when we're out there doing things in the community, when we're involved in community projects, when we're involved in ongoing ministries out there, we're involved in short-term things, one-time events, we invite them just to come and help us. Hey, I've got to go over next week and take care of a little old lady's radiator. I've got to change a radiator out in her car. Our church does this car repair ministry, and I could use an extra set of hands. You want to go with me? Sure. I'll go do it. We'll take care of that little old lady. Hey, we've got to put a new furnace in this single mom's house, and, and, and I just, I could use an extra set of hands. You want to come? Yeah, I'll come with you. Hey, I've got to go over to my church and babysit some kids, uh, some babies while their parents go on a date night. You want to just come and sit and talk while we're rocking babies? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Now, see, that's okay because it's not a worship service. I, and I'm sorry, I'm going to come back and backtrack on that just a minute in a second, so please don't think that I think everybody hates church, okay? Don't, 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 don't hold me that until I get to the end, okay? But to a lot of people, the first place we invite them is to join us in activities that we're doing out there. And I'm calling these tether events, tether activities. What do you mean tether? You know what a tether ball is, don't you? Remember when you were a kid, played tether ball? Big pole, ball, rope tied to the pole. You hit the ball, the ball goes round and round, and you hit it the other way around, but it's always tied to the pole. A lot of these out there ministries are going to be things that you feel led to do, and yet you don't need anything from the church, not even his permission, but you're going to be tied to us so we can pray for you and encourage you and support you in what you're doing as you minister out in the community. Maybe it is something as simple as holding the door at Zano School or being an aide to a teacher, you know, a volunteer aide or something. I, I don't know what it is. But we want to keep you tethered so we can pray for you and encourage you and support you because things may get tough as you get out there into the world. In addition to those community-based projects, there's also other small group activities that are going on out there. For example, we're going to start Bible study groups that meet off this campus, that meet out in the community. We already have a few. We're going to start some more of them. We're going to move at least one of our Life Tree episodes, sessions, off of our campus and put it out in the community. We're looking at several locations right now where LifeTree will not be on this property. It will be out in the community. So you can go and invite people there. It might be more amenable to go there than necessarily to come here. Because see, for us, the beacon is not church. But you, I cannot tell you how many people I have met at Schnooks and in Walmart and at PTA meetings and at Chamber of Commerce meetings. Go, so what are you doing with your old building now that your church is out at the new building? Because in their mind, that's our church. Because it's more visible. So... There are things that we're going to do off campus that are more of our structured things in order to give you an opportunity to invite people to be involved. And there's the old, the, the traditional things, Romeo's, silver senior breakfast. Well, it's not silver anymore. Senior adult breakfast. Great way to invite people to come and join you. Grief share that meets out at the library. And it's time. Five years of waiting and praying. The time has come for us as a church family to launch gospel communities. Now, gospel communities are not exactly like the old home groups, the old community groups, but they are designed for us to get together as brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for each other, to share life, to talk about what we're learning in an informal setting. And beloved, my greatest prayer is not that it will become one more thing to do with church. It becomes something that you love to do. Who doesn't love getting together and eating Swedish meatballs and playing dominoes with a bunch of friends? And while you're there, you pray for each other. 
And by the way, every now and then you invite an unsaved friend to come and join you. What's better than a D&D night, right? Do you realize that really is already a community group in one sense of the world, a gospel community? It is. Because as you invite friends to come and join you, they get to know other students that are Christians and see how they interact with life and see what's going on. Gospel community should be natural ways. But, now I want you to, so you know, I'm almost saying I'm going to move on. This is not going to be something you're going to be assigned to a group and everybody has to go. This is going to be organically grown out of the church family. If you would love to get together with two or three other couples on a, on a schedule that works for you, and you have somebody that would like to lead that or host that, that's all it takes. And we'll get a gospel community going in your neighborhood or with people that you like being with. It'll just grow out of the natural love you have for being together. It could be on a Sunday night at 6 o'clock. <gasps> you mean the same time as worship service? Yeah, because you know what? In a way, what we do here on Sunday nights is a gospel community. Kind of relaxed. We just talk together. We share the gospel. We hear. We learn. And we'll have other gospel communities meeting all over so that people can then be invited to come and be a part of that. Something that you love being. And then, of course, there's things that are small group things that happen here on campus. For example, we have Bible studies that meet here at church, meet out at the Beacon. We have other things that meet at the Beacon. We have Life Tree Cafe that meets out there. We have something that Lisa Deans will come and tell us about called CAST. If you don't know about CAST, where is Lisa? I'm motioning for, oh, there she is. To tell us about CAST and, and all of the crafting things that go on. A wonderful way to invite ladies who are interested in craft type things, but maybe not necessarily interested in coming to a worship service, is invite them to, invite them to come and join you at CAST. In case you hadn't figured that out already. This has been going on for almost seven years now. It was something that Sharon, Neil, and I started. Um, but it is definitely a we thing. We have 87 crafters who receive the monthly newsletter. We have at least three meetings a month. One of them is elongated. The other two are much shorter. You're welcome to come and stay for however long you want to. And it covers all mediums. It covers all people. It covers most ages. We don't have babysitting. But if you have an older child who is interested and uh, reliable to play with glue, they are welcome to come. We've, we've come up with a little motto this year. It is... Loving each other, making a smile, one card at a time. When we first started, we were focused mostly on serving the Operation Right Home or the military people that were deployed because there were no Hallmark stores in Afghanistan. And they closed their doors, hallelujah, this past summer because too many had come home and they didn't have the need for so many cards anymore. When this migration started we were going oh my goodness what do we do with all of these people who are so excited about serving in the in the community so we came home we are doing a number of projects that are centric to monroe county we have made 543 little tray cards for every nursing home resident in monroe county for all the major holidays for the last 18 months we made 3,000 three-by-three cards that went into each little gift bag that Santa on the Waterloo German float gave away to the community this year. We have made five gift tags and three Christmas cards and 750 packets that went to all of the clients at the Christian Activity Center this past Christmas. 
We support Grace Adoption by giving them cards for their friends and during the holidays. Uh, so that is 60 people times 12 cards for each, of, each year. And that's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. We are going higher and farther each and every time we meet. And it's all done over in the northeast corner of the beacon very quietly with an average of 25 crafters every month. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Now, so we've got these tether events, these tether activities happen out there. Sometimes just very organically, some of us just get together and say, hey, we're going to go help with that. You see a neighbor that needs their, 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 their house pressure wash, and you know it's a little senior adult lady, and you go and say, hey, would you mind if we pressure wash your house? And you invite a couple of three of your friends to come and join you. It can be an organized thing like a Bible study group or Romeo's or something. It can be something on campus. And lest you think I don't think it's important, there also is the element of inviting people to the large events that happen right here at 320 Covenant Drive. Please don't think that I think that's not important because, let me tell you, there's a whole generation of lost people that still equate coming to Christ with coming to church. And that's okay. We should be actively engaged in inviting people to come here, but I just want you to understand that can't be our first and only line of invitation because we will lose two whole groups of people for whom this is the last place they would ever come. But there's another big group of people out there that this might be the first place they would come. And so we're going to have four big days. I bet you can guess what the first big day on our calendar is from today. Easter, three worship services Easter Sunday morning, two out of the beacon, one here. Pancake, bacon, breakfast, perfect opportunity. Most people know that on Easter you're supposed to be a Christian, which means you should all at least go to church for an hour. Great way for you to invite your, especially if you offer them free pancakes and bacon with it, okay? Secondly will be a midsummer event. It may be around 4th of July. It may be around the end of VBS. We're still working on that. Third event will be in September when Wilson and, and, and his wife come. And the fourth will, of course, be, ho, 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 Christmas. So four big days it would be easy for you to invite a friend to come that you know might be open to coming with you to a worship service. There are also going to be smaller days like starting new sermon series, graduate recognitions, other kinds of recognition days, things like that where you will be able to have the opportunity. We'll give you um, ways to invite friends to come and be a part of that kind of thing, new kinds of, of ways. And then there's the community-wide events that we do here on campus, back to school fair, Christmas tree walk, this men's conference that Monty and the men's ministry is putting on. So there are always things here that we can invite people to. But you see, and i got to say this real quick, and then we're going to finish out with one last question. What we have fallen into the trap of doing is we have said, well, they know where we are. If they want to come to church, they know we meet. It's out there on the, beak, out there on the sign, 10 o'clock every Sunday morning. They know. And I remember one day having this wonderful flash, I guess you call it, kind of scary in a way. I was driving to Belleville to go to the hospital. I passed four churches of four different denominations. Every one of them said, come worship with us. Come worship with us. Come join us. Come be with us. And I thought to myself, if I was a lost person, the first thing I would say is, why? I've never been to your church. I have no interest in what you do. Why? So they have to get to know us first because relationships are the key. Now, the last question is this. I've been talking about a lot of tether ministries, a lot of new things, a lot of getting out there and doing stuff out there. Who in this world is going to own all of this? Who is going to come up with and operate all of those out there ministries? 75% of the life of our church is not going to change one whit, except it's going to get better. Stronger Sunday school, 
better worship experiences, better ministry to children and to youth and all the things that we do here, those are going to continue to grow stronger and stronger because this is the end goal of where hopefully people come. Now, some may never walk into church. They may come to Christ and never come to this building. That's okay. But for most people, once they come to Christ or once they realize that not all churches are like the church that they left, they're going to end up being here. And we want this to be the very best place for God's glory and for the strengthening of God's people that can be, right? We do want that, don't we? Exactly. But this becomes the hub rather than the core. This becomes the place that people are coming toward. So who's going to do all this out there? Who's going to own all that? Who's going to interface with the lost community where they live life every day? I have a three-letter word that answers that question. Who's going to own it? Who's going to operate it? You are. You are. You have an envelope in your lap. I want you to grab that envelope. I want you to open it up. I want you to take the piece of paper out and unfold it. January 31st, 2016, upon my authority as the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Waterloo, I deed to you, the members of this church family, the ministries of our church. They now belong to you. Now, my role, we'll talk about it in just a second. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to walk away. I'm going to be here to guide and encourage and probably to catalyze at times. But we need to understand that the biblical model of doing ministry is that the members of the body, well, let's just take a look. You have a blue uh, bookmarker at Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bible. Take a minute with me and turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. You may want to frame that deed because some of you may have to come back and use it against me if I try to take over and start running everything. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the role of the church and how God gives gifts to the local bodies of believers that were scattered in his day across Asia Minor and into Greece. And he talks about this way that God in his infinite wisdom gives people to the church. And in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, And he, which means God, and he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for what purpose? For the training of the saints in the work of ministry. That is the biblical definition of a pastor. You can say anything you want. You can write any book you want. But if you want to know what the Bible says the role of the pastor is, it's right there. To train the saints in the work of ministry. I am your equipper. Gifted, I'll put in quotation marks to you. I hope you see me as a gift. Gifted to you so that you can do the work that God has called you to do. It's not my place to tell you what your call is. It's not my place to do the work for you. It's not my place to, here, let me, let me do that for you, and I'll, you go sit and, and, no. My job is to equip you so that you can do what you feel in your heart. God has called and equipped and enabled you, but you just need some tools. You say, I know the Holy Spirit wants me to do this. I just need a little help. That's what the pastors are here for. Myself, Pastor Darrell, other pastors we may call on staff in the years to come. The role of the pastors is to equip the saints. And so that's the role of the pastor. It also shows us what the role of the members are. The role of the members is to own and do the ministry of the church. 
And that's why we have committees in our church. That's why we have uh, work teams in our church, ministry teams. We have a, a missions and ministry team that's going to be reformulated. Russ and Jerrica, Frank, along with um, Joel and Caleb are going to be co-chair, co-leading that team and helping us and in, in, in how we can be involved. And there are going to be times when we probably are going to see something in you that we're going to try to encourage you. But we're going to leave it up to the Holy Spirit. And our role is to equip you. Now, there's one other group of leaders in our church. And that's the deacons. What is the deacon's role? Well, grab that green piece of paper and turn back to Acts chapter 6. Most of you know this story. In Acts chapter 6, we had a little problem. It was partly a benevolence problem. It was partly an administrative problem. There were these widows, some of whom had been born and raised, lived all their lives around Jerusalem in the Promised Land. They spoke Hebrew. They were Jews through and through. Some of them were still Jewish, but they had been out in the dispersion, and they had grown up for generations out in Greek-speaking areas. And then they came back in and accepted Christ, but they were kind of like half-breeds in a sense. And unfortunately, because humans are humans and we tend to play favorites, the widows that spoke Greek were not getting the same allotment of help from the church that the Hebrew-speaking widows were getting. And so what did they do? They did what churches always do. They went to their pastors. Pastor, we have a problem. My mother-in-law only got a third as much as so-and-so's mother-in-law over there, and that's just not right. Pastor said, you know what, you're absolutely right. Now, those are the pastors for the apostles. The apostles said, this is absolutely our responsibility to solve, and here's how we're going to solve it. You go and find seven men that have this kind of DNA. We will lay hands on them, and we will confer on them the responsibility for administering the distribution of the food. Now, I use the word intentionally, administering the distribution of the food. Notice what it says in chapter 6, verse 2. Then the 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples. And said, when he says of the disciples, that doesn't mean the 12. It means the, the followers, the church. And said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Now, some of your translations say wait on tables. I thank the, the, the Holman translators for using a more accurate translation because in our day, wait on tables is what Reese does for you at Applebee's. Well, not yet. You're not a waiter yet. You're just a host, but you know what I mean. Or, or Hope does at, at Denny's. But in that day, wait on tables meant they sat at the table where the, where the resources were distributed out. They would sit behind a table. People would come to the table. They'd give their name, and they would get their distribution. It was an administrative function. That's why Matthew sat at the customs table. That's why the money changers in the temple sat at the table. Because sitting at the table signified administration. And so these proto-deacons were given the task of administering the resources that the people needed in order to do what they needed to do. So the role of the pastors is equipping. The role of the deacons is enabling. And the role of all of you is what? The doing. Now, does that mean I'm not going to do anything? Of course I am, because I'm a member of the church too. But as the pastor, my job is to equip the deacons, help enable, and we'll talk a lot more about how that's going to happen. But this is the biblical model, and we're going to learn this biblical model in a 24-month process that we've just started called 24D. 24 months to help us move toward seeing ourselves as one big team, all working together for the good of the kingdom. You're invited to come. We're going to have a follow-up to the first module on next Sunday afternoon, immediately following the morning service out at the Beacon. 
You can watch the first video and you'll know everything that all the rest of us know. I, en I enlisted about two months ago a group of about 35 or 40 adults to kind of be a core group. So if I needed some help, I knew exactly who to call. Okay, but you are welcome to come. You can join the group or you can just come and watch. Two or three weeks later, we'll do module number two. Right now we're looking at vision and our vision and our mission as a church. And is it clearly stated? Is it clearly understandable by the people in our church and the people in our community? But for 24 months, we're going to learn how to become a team. We're going to look at every aspect of our church, every life, part of the life of our church, and determine how we can be better equipped to serve God. Because you see, there's one more part to this that we can't forget, and that is that we move from mirrors to windows, and we look out into a world. But once we look out into the world and we get our heart for that, we're not going to stay sitting inside this building looking out the window. We're going to go bounding out that door, heading out there to where people are with the good news that God loves them and that we love them and that we want to be with them in their lives. With that, let's pray together. Father, these people have been very, very patient with me like they are most Januaries when I do this. Some of them have absorbed 75%, some 50%, some 20%. Some got a good nap. I'm not sure, but now we're at the point of saying, okay, for what I did here, I need to think about my role. Have I been more focused on myself and my priorities or more focused on my lost friends and family and neighbors? Am I willing to go out to where the people are and minister to them so they can see and I can build relationships with them. Lord, how many times did your son tell us to go, 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 go? How many times did he send people out? I pray that we will recognize the fact that this is, to a large extent, the reason we are where we are is that I have failed and keeping us focused outwardly. And we've become very inwardly focused in a lot of ways. And now you are calling us back out into the harvest field. And so now, Lord, we just need to do what we need to do. And so in these last five minutes before we go and have lunch together, I pray that you will speak to individual hearts, to couples, to families, to Sunday school classes, to domino groups and motorcycle groups and bicycling groups and crafting groups and antiquing groups and whatever other kind of groups we have, to see ourselves as being out there. Put our mirror aside. We've looked at ourselves long enough and help us to look out the window of our hearts and then go. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen.